Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This past Wednesday, we began the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday, and so this is the first Sunday of Lent, and those of you that are visitors or are new to St. Luke's, you may not know that every Lent I do a sermon series, and since this is the first Sunday in Lent, I'm going to introduce the sermon series, and this sermon series is a little different than maybe some of the others that I've done in the past. And I want to start off by saying that back in the 70s, there was a slogan or a phrase that was used frequently in and around churches and actually amongst young people. In fact, it probably began with what was called the Jesus Movement. I don't know how many of you remember hearing of the Jesus Movement But you would see this phrase on church billboards, on buses, on bumper stickers. And in fact, it was such a popular phrase, I'll never forget, I was in, uh, this might be a little graphic for some of you, in a men's room stall, and I saw it written in the men's room stall. See, today you would not see this as frequently because you don't see Jesus' name in public as frequently as you did back in the 60s and 70s and even early 80s because there wasn't so much the stigma attached back then as there is now. But the phrase was, Jesus is the answer. How many of you remember that? A lot of you do. Jesus is the answer. And I'll never forget, in that same bathroom stall, Someone wrote underneath, what is the question? And I'm not sure if the person who wrote that thought they were trying to be funny or was undermining what the point was or actually had a genuine question. Because many of us believe that Jesus is the answer. But I think a lot of people wonder what the question is when we think, when we say Jesus is the answer, because they're not sure. They're not sure what they're even looking for at times. Especially today. And in reality, we all ask questions. We ask questions of God. We ask questions of each other. Questions are a part of our daily lives. I wonder if you've asked some questions of yourself, of people around you already today. You may have wondered in the parking lot thinking, where am I going to park? Where am I going to go in? Questions fill our minds. Questions fill our days. 
And when you meet someone, you ask questions. Sometimes it's just about small talk. Sometimes it's just about getting acquainted. Sometimes it's the nice thing or the right thing to do. Sometimes you're genuinely interested. Somebody caught that. Sometimes you really want to get beyond just being a stranger or an acquaintance. You really want to get to know the person. You're genuinely interested. You want to build a caring or even an intimate relationship. And so you pursue with questions. Sometimes in the evening, 7, 8, even as late as 9 o'clock, you'll get a phone call and you'll pick it up. Would you mind if I ask you a few questions? I'm taking a survey. But sometimes we ask questions for different reasons. Sometimes questions are asked by teachers or coaches or mentors because they want to help us learn, because they're trying to get us to think. I remember when my kids were younger asking them questions to try to get them to make decisions, to try to get them to think, to reflect about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Sometimes when I'm with someone in counseling, whether it be premarital counseling or whether it be actually talking to someone about their faith, to try to find out where these people are when I meet with them, to try to find out their background or what's going on with them, to try to find out some of the baggage that they might be dealing with, some of the pain that they might be dealing with, because you can pinpoint what it is you're talking with people about or how you can discuss with them the issues of faith or emotions or crisis when you know more about what's going on in their lives. Questions can be very, very helpful. Questions can be important. Questions can be critical. And sometimes we even have to ask questions of ourselves. And so this Lent, through Easter actually, I'm going to do a short sermon series on questions that Jesus asks. So instead of talking about Jesus as the answer, the one who is the answer, I'm going to focus on him asking questions. I'll tell you how I arrived at this. I was reading a scripture a couple of months ago. And I was looking at the question that Jesus asked. And I thought, why did he ask that question? And it dawned on me, that's a great question. Why did he ask that question? And that's going to be, actually, that particular one, that's going to be my Easter sermon. I'm not going to tell you what it is. So either you have to come or you have to go online and listen. But it intrigued me. And then my mind started wandering. And then I started looking through the pages of the gospel. And then I started doing some research. And I actually ordered a couple of books and I read the books. Do you know that Jesus asks over a hundred questions? 
I never really thought about it before. But I started thinking about why he asked the questions. And if you look at the passage for today in the gospel, he asks two questions. And actually the one question is the most critical question that we have in our lives. Because it will determine how we live our lives and it will determine our eternity. Who do you say that I am? But I want to start with the first question. Who do others say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Elijah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, is the response. And you know, it's interesting. If you ask people today, if you were to go to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, maybe on a street corner, to a shopping mall, and you were to ask that question, you would get a similar variety of responses. That Jesus is a good guy, a good man a moral teacher, a prophet, you would get similar responses, the same ones that the apostles got in some ways. But you know today that you would probably get different responses as well? Because we live in a different day. In some ways, the same Foibles and faults and sins that existed during the apostles' day. The same mistakes that people have made. The same mistakes about Jesus people have made exist today. But there's more. Because think about what was going on back then. The apostles were living in primarily a Jewish world where most people believed in God. Most people believed that the Word of God had some semblance to life. And even if they weren't Jewish, they lived in the Greco-Roman world where most people believed in gods. So there was this semblance of a spiritual world out there. <clears throat> we live in a global day. Because we live in a global day, you will hear people talk about Buddhism. Buddhism, strictly speaking, does not have God as part of its belief system. So that's one system that's out there that really doesn't have to do with God existing. We live in an age in this country where probably 15, 20, maybe even 25% are agnostic or atheistic, that there's no belief in God. If you were to go to the public school systems where the Big Bang Theory is taught, God is not talked about. So we live in a different day and age. Where Jesus is not mentioned and God may not be mentioned. And people may not have God in mind at all. 
Let's take it a step further. In some circles, what's going on in Europe and what's going on in the United States is called post-Christian, where we've moved beyond Christianity. The Christianity is considered abusive, if not irrelevant. Where Jesus Christ and what is taught about Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection, is considered a myth. And by the way, some of you may not know this, it's also taught that way in some seminaries. Where Jesus may or may not have died on a cross, but he certainly didn't bodily rise from the dead. Seminaries. So when we begin to talk about who Jesus Christ is in terms of the public in the United States, consider the obstacles that you're talking about. Consider the different takes on who Jesus is. So when you were to say to someone, who do people say that Jesus is? Can you imagine first and foremost the answers that you could possibly get And secondly, the obstacles that you might have to overcome when you begin to talk about who Jesus is. And what does it mean to live as a Christian then? Well, that's up for grabs too if you're not clear on who Jesus is. And that's why this question is critical. And that's why Jesus went to the next question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because that's the most critical question. You've heard what other people have said. You know what's out on the street. And yet to his apostles he's saying, and yet you've watched my life. You've heard me teach. You've seen me do the miracles. You've seen the integrity of my life. Jesus is new on the scene. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a prophet. And he's made some claims. And so Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one who God sends Now, here's a critical point. If Jesus was just a good man, and it's not true, he should have said, no, you got it wrong, Peter. 
I'm not the Messiah. I'm not God. I'm not God's son. Because if it's not true, then he's not a good man. And if it's not true, and he's just a prophet, now he's a false prophet. But see, what Jesus does is he not only says, no, Peter, he affirms it. And he goes on to say that flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, this hasn't just dawned on you because you're so smart or you're so good, Peter. We can find it, kind of figure that out by just reading the rest of Scripture. God has revealed this to you. My Father, who sends the Spirit, He's the one that's revealed this to you. That's how you know. This is not because you're so smart. This is not because you're so good. This is not because you're so bright. This is not because you have a great religious education. This is because you've had a crack. You've opened your heart just a crack. And God, by His Spirit, has rushed in and brought this truth into your life. That's how you know. And this is the foundation that I can build. I can build my church. I can transform your life, Peter. Because that's the rock. This is what you need. Because that's the truth. And Jesus is big on truth. And it changes your life in a twofold way. Number one, it changes your life. Right now, when you realize that that's true, that Jesus is not just a good person, that Jesus is not just a prophet or a moral teacher, that he is God, that it changes your life now, that God wants to transform your life. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to invade you, You no longer live for yourself. Let me read to you what Paul writes. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Jesus goes on to say, See, my father's revealed this to you. And let me tell you what's going to happen next. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Then I'm going to rise again, Peter, so you really understand the full impact of what's coming. I'm going to die for your sin on the cross. I'm going to become your savior. And then I'm going to rise again and show you that I have power over sin and death. I'm going to show you that eternal life And salvation is what's coming. 
And I'm going to show you that I won't only change you right now. I'm going to change you for all eternity. And that's the twofold change. So that you no longer are looking for peace because you have security in this world. That you're no longer looking for joy because you have all you need simply in this world. That I'm going to give you the peace that passes all understanding because you know where you're going to spend eternity. And I'm going to give you the joy that's the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to help you know love that is an infinite love. See, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, I want you to know true salvation and eternal life that begins now and goes on into eternity. And that's why Jesus says, I want you to completely understand what it is I'm about and what is coming. Jesus would go on to say, in John's Gospel, when confronted with the, by the Pharisees with this very issue, who are you really? In John chapter 8, And Jesus would say, before Abraham was, I am. And if you read the first reading for today in Exodus, where Moses is saying, who's sending me to rescue the Israelites? And he says, tell them, I am is sending you. And that's my name throughout all generations. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I'm God. It's the name that God gave to Moses. That's my name, too. That Jesus is claiming to be God. Make no mistake. And that's what Peter came to understand. You will hear in today's culture, today's world, the truth is up for grabs. The truth is up for grabs about who Jesus is. See, I don't believe that. And I think in order to live this life effectively, we need truth and we need honest answers to the questions we have. In order to buy a car, I need honest answers. Was this car in an accident? I would like to know the honest answer to that. Is this house structurally sound? I would like to know the honest answer to that. How many real estate people do we have in the room right now? We have a few.
Are these stocks and bonds really a good investment? Think about how many questions we want and need honest answers to in this life that we rely on. Can you give me directions? To, no, we won't even go there. We're talking about eternity. Who is Jesus really? Jesus says, He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. That He came to suffer. And He came to die. But that He would rise again. He told Peter that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. God's Spirit Reveal this to you. So that you would know. So that you would know. And all you need to do is just open your heart a crack. And He will change your life now and for all eternity. But now we need to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves. Is He really your Savior? Have you really gone to the cross and said, Jesus, I thank you for giving your life for me. And I want you to be my Savior. And just as important that I no longer want to be the Lord of my life, I want you to be the Lord of my life. That I give myself to you wholly and completely. It is, as Paul said, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Be honest with yourself, because we need honest answers. Because Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? And he wants an honest answer. And the answer that you give will make all the difference in your life now and for all eternity. Let's pray. God, sometimes when we look around us in the news,
we sometimes question whether we're getting honest answers, the truth. But Lord Jesus, when we look to you, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you also ask, who do you say that I am? Lord God, I I ask this day that for those here who may not be sure, that you would send your Holy Spirit now and reveal yourself clearly. That they would know that you are God. That they would know that you are the Savior and you long to be their Lord. And that they would open their hearts and know the truth of who you are. That they would take an honest look at their lives. Lord, for those that are compromised, Lord, that they too would take an honest look at their lives. And for all of us, Lord, that we could definitively definitively and confidently say, You are the Christ, the Messiah. You are our Savior and Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Transform our lives now and for all eternity. And help us to walk with you day by day through this Lent. Throughout the rest of our lives. In the power of your spirit. In the shadow of the cross. And for the sake of your name, Jesus Christ. And I ask this in your precious name.